0: This episode is brought to you by Dentons Canada. From startups to industry icons, Dentons acts for a wide variety of companies in both the public and private realms. As the world's largest law firm, Dentons can provide its global reach to your business. Visit Dentons.com for more details. Welcome to The Frontier, a podcast series brought to you by Cap Intel, dedicated to bringing you the latest insights, innovations, and investment philosophies from the professionals who invest your money. Today on the podcast, we have Craig Jerusalem, a portfolio manager with CIBC Asset Management.
1: If, however, you understand what a portfolio manager strategy is and you believe in that strategy and you think that that portfolio manager can beat their index over time, that's when a mutual fund could potentially make more sense than an ETF. Canada is really benefiting from this halo effect being put up next to the United States. If you think about the United States' uh, trade rhetoric and uh, immigration rhetoric and Donald Trump and everything around the negativity in his communication policies, uh, I I think it's showing that uh, Canada, next to the United States but also globally, is a safe place to invest.
0: He has 11 years experience and is responsible for the CIBC Canadian Equity Core Fund. Prior to joining CIBC Asset Management in 2006, Mr. Jerusalem worked as an analyst at Dynamic Mutual Funds and as a software developer at Adnomics Limited. What is a country-focused mutual fund?
1: Really, a country focused mutual fund is when the goal of the mutual fund is to essentially beat a country benchmark. So, as a Canadian country focused mutual fund, uh, my goal is to always be beating the SP TSX index. Sometimes it's a little counterproductive when you think about uh, that as a bogey or as a goal, because if the market is down 10%, investors aren't going to be happy even if you beat your benchmark and you're only down 5%. It's still losing money. However, that is the goal of the country's focused mutual fund. And uh, um, over the course of the cycle, it's believed that if you can continue to beat that benchmark, that over time, you will uh, benefit from from those returns.
0: So essentially, when you're investing in from from a, a retail perspective or an individual perspective, you're investing on both the... Specific equities within that fund and then also it's a bit of an investment in Canada itself.
1: That's right So as a composition for an investor We think about Canada as a whole it makes up about 4% of global GDP so really as a starting point that should be what Country focused mutual fund or in or a country index uh, like an ETF should represent of your overall portfolio now living in Canada Typically, investors have a greater proportion of their investments in that country, and that's largely because they know that country, they know the the intimacies and uh, the ins and outs of that country better than they would, say, Sweden, which uh, mm-hmm. could have a comparable GDP composition in a global in, in a global uh, portfolio.
0: So then, aside from sovereignty, the added context of having a country-focused mutual fund is it does allow the investors of that country to invest with, say, some more inherent knowledge of what they're getting into. So we understand the government. We have a a reasonable understanding of the economic situation in Canada, and that allows us to invest in with a bit more general knowledge.
1: That's fair. All investors should have diversified portfolios. That's really the only free lunch in finance. Mm -hmm. However, if an investor is not sophisticated, if they don't have someone advising them, then I would say just go for an ETF. That means you're going to get the index returns and you're going to pay the minimum fees. If, however, you understand what a portfolio manager's strategy is and you believe in that strategy and you think that that portfolio manager can beat their index over time, that's when a mutual fund could potentially make more sense than an ETF. But for the average investor that doesn't have access or isn't going to take the time to read investment policy statements and uh, philosophy statements, I would say stick with an ETF because you're not going to be paying the excess fees on those funds.
0: Walking into that, can we talk a bit more then about the benefits and drawbacks of these specific funds? It seems like education or knowledge of that portfolio manager and a certain level of sophistication in the investor is needed to be in these funds. Would that be true?
1: So my funds are typically sold through a bank channel. So there would be a a financial advisor or a financial specialist advising the client on what are the risks and rewards of putting money within one of my funds. I believe that investing in high quality companies, companies with strong balance sheets, competitive advantages are are going to outperform over time. And that's why relative to the benchmark, I'm gonna try and stay away from the highest risk, most overlevered companies that uh, are really selling commoditized products and that uh, don't have any competitive advantages. And that's where I'm trying to get my benefit relative to the index. Mm-hmm. Someone has to understand that that's my philosophy. It's a, a high quality growth at a reasonable price philosophy. They have to believe that first of all, they have to know that that is my style, then they have to believe that that style is going to outperform over time. And that would then make sense to begin to justify the fees that we charge on our mutual funds relative to a passive index.
0: And I think that's an important piece that individuals you touched on a little bit earlier don't necessarily consider a Canadian equities fund to be a country-focused mutual fund from a Canadian perspective, you think. I'm just putting my money into Canada, it's local. Uh, Whereas really the way to think about it is in the context of all the other country focused mutual funds out there, a US equities fund, um, you talked about Sweden earlier, a certain specific fund. So really when people are making that decision, as you said, it should be more so to satisfy a need of a portfolio and a portion of Canadian equities in their portfolio, as opposed to being the whole play or being a very significant portion of it.
1: A couple of points I want to touch on there. Investors often fall into the home country bias, mm-hmm. which means a disproportionate amount of their assets within the country that they live in, and they're not getting the benefits of global diversification. The other is that when you do invest in country-specific mutual funds, there is the benefit of the portfolio manager having the intimate knowledge about the companies, understanding And living in the country, for example, understanding a Dollarama in Canada as a dollar store is different from a dollar store in the United States. And then realizing why we should or shouldn't be paying a premium to how dollar stores are traded in other countries. So it's gaining that intimate knowledge. Layering on top of that one step further is as a country-focused mutual fund as opposed to an ETF, I get to go out and meet the management teams of these countries. I get to quiz them just like an investor should be, able to quiz the portfolio manager that they're living up to their promise and their investment style, process, and philosophy. I get to do that to the management teams of the companies that I invest in.
0: And then in your own specific context at CIBC, you manage the CIBC Canadian Equities Fund, and you co manage the CIBC Canadian Small Cap Fund. Why did you choose to manage these funds? In other words, why pick Canada?
1: That's a combination of that's where my knowledge base is and I've grown into having an expertise in that area. But also that's because that's what CIBC Asset Management, uh, 90% of our assets are focused in Canada. We have the benefit of having a branch network that gathers assets ongoing. Someone comes into a branch network, wants to invest $100, $1,000, $10,000, We have a gathering network that takes that money and invests it on their behalf. And because 90% of uh, CIBC Asset Management's assets are are supposed to be invested in Canadian assets, that's why I've continued to invest uh, uh, Canadian-focused mutual funds. I'm held to owning 90% of the assets in Canada by our IPGs, which is the Investment Policy Guidelines.
0: Does that include, um, so you need 90% of the assets must be in Canada. Does that include cash or is that just equities?
1: It would be 90% of uh, the overall portfolio. I typically don't have high cash levels. I believe that I should be fully invested because the asset allocation decision is being made by a separate advisor. I don't get to have a one-on-one conversation with the investors in my mutual fund. All I know is that they're purchasing my mutual fund to have a certain portion of their overall assets invested in Canada. That's why I believe I should be fully invested in trying to outperform that benchmark that I talked about, the S&P TSX or the S&P TSX small cap index. And I'm trying to do that by being fully invested, picking the best stocks, the best companies and uh, sticking with them over time.
0: And so it gives you a a small amount of flexibility to capitalize on something that you may see that's outside of Canada that it's too good to to stay out of.
1: So, the the 10% based on the investment policy, I could take that 10% and keep it invested in Canada, or I could uh, diversify outside for my large cap companies. For example, I have exposure to uh, global healthcare companies, uh, global technology companies, where we don't have as broad an investment opportunity in Canada. So yes, it is to, to broaden out the investment universe. let
0: lets you fill some gaps that are maybe a bit stronger or more present in the United States than we have here. Exactly. Yeah. Within that, and in investing in Canada, I think it's safe to assume you have a positive outlook on the performance of the country. First off, what is your outlook on Canada and why continue to invest with it as a focus?
1: I would characterize it as having a balanced view on Canada. Right now, Canada has the highest GDP out of all the G7 countries, but I don't think that that's necessarily going to continue like that uh, indefinitely. I have to, like I said, stay invested in Canada. 90% of the assets have to be invested in companies listed on the TSX. However, I can tilt the portfolio to global oriented companies. If you think about uh, companies like uh, Shopify or Magna, yes, they're listed on the TSX, but uh, a lot of their sales or customers are outside of Canada. So depending on my view, medium term or long term, I could shift around companies within the index to have a tilt towards Canada or away from Canada. So that's another metric or avenue at my disposal to try and outperform the, the benchmark.
0: Mm-hmm. In the Canadian context, what do you think some of the biggest primary opportunities and threats are to Canadian equities in the near term?
1: In the near term threats, I would put trade, uh, specifically uh, the, with the renegotiation of NAFTA and uh how that's going to impact Canada as a whole. I think Canada and the U.S. do have a symbiotic relationship. They need each other. However, there is a heightened risk of a policy misstep. Uh, um, We're entering new territories with the the new regime in the United States and uh, renegotiating NAFTA could potentially be positive, could potentially be a negative or hopefully just the status quo because I think it's working well right now. It hasn't been renegotiated in a very long time and it has to be updated for the, the new world that we live in today, but uh, it's definitely in the threat bucket. The second one, uh, which I put as a lower risk uh, threat, would be uh, a policy misstep with respect to interest rates. We know a couple of years ago, the Bank of Canada cut interest rates by 50 basis points as an emergency uh, response to oil dropping down to the, the high 20 dollar per barrel level. Since then, oils recovered back up to 50. So they've they've communicated that they're taking away those two uh, emergency cuts and raising interest rates uh, a couple months ago, and, and likely either September or October of this year, a second time. After that, chances are they pause, um, but there's always the risk that they continue to hike interest rates, which would uh, choke off some uh, liquidity and uh, potentially lead to some... Uh, missteps in the economy Mm -hmm. then on the opportunity front i think that uh, canada is really benefiting from this halo effect being put up next to the united states if you think about the united states uh, trade rhetoric and uh, immigration rhetoric and donald trump and everything around the negativity in his communication policies uh, i I think it's showing that uh, canada Next to the United States, but also globally, is a safe place to invest, has a government that is stable, that uh, has a majority, which means they have a mandate to enact their policies. And I think it's a pro-growth policy when you think of the infrastructure investment that's uh, going to continue to benefit the economy. A secondary or tangential benefit of some of the the initial stuff I talked about uh, on immigration, I think Canada is benefiting from the reverse brain drain if you think about computer science and it, computer engineer or engineers that graduated from universities, a lot of them would look towards Silicon Valley in the United States. I think that that's slowed down. I think a lot of the global companies like the Facebooks and Apples and Googles of the world are setting up shop, not only in Waterloo around uh, some of those university hubs, but also in cities like Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, because the workers, the, the, the people with the, with that knowledge want to live in those cities. And uh, I think Canada as a whole is benefiting from uh, a lot of that reverse brain drain, plus the strong immigration policies that we have.
0: In the long run, do you see, um, for example, one of the opportunities you talked about is us being up next to uh, the current situation in the United States and having a nice sort of halo effect, is, as you called it that could potentially be for another three years, could potentially be for another seven years. Do you see Canada benefiting from that in the long term?
1: I do. When you you have the combination of uh, extremely strong natural resources, a well-educated population, a safe place to live, and being situated next to the largest economy in the world, I think Canada is very well positioned for for long-term growth. It's not going to be four or five percent GDP growth. It's Probably won't continue to be 3% GDP growth, but uh, 1% to 3% GDP growth long term through the cycle, I think uh, combine that with uh, a lot of the aspects that I talked about with stable governments, uh, rule of law, educated uh, workforce, I think Canada's prospects for the long term are quite positive.
0: And are there any long term threats that you see outside of the two that you talked about?
1: I think the big one is energy. Um, If you think about uh, the destruction coming from electric vehicles, um, where we are today versus where we theoretically could be uh, 10 years from now, I think that carbon-based forms of energy uh, are are not going to be in as big demand as they are today. And right now, the Canadian economy has a big impact from that. Hopefully, over the next 10 years, for the reason I outlined, Canada can naturally shift some of their dependence more towards technology and healthcare and services and become less dependent on energy.
0: And investors, presumably, can sort of make that adjustment as well or preempt the potential energy drain or destruction of demand in energy by investing more in, in the Shopify's and, and more in the global companies and a bit away from the energy sector. Investments to, to if they if they feel that way now and they want to reduce their exposure.
1: Yes, and that's one of the benefits that an active uh, manager has over a uh, passive uh, ETF investment. Passive ETF investment necessarily is the makeup of the entire index, whereas active managers can pick up on those trends and uh, and trade around them to their benefits. Now, I'm not saying that uh, Suncor is going to. Head straight to zero. I think there's there's going to be long term need for diesel and uh, other forms, and it's going to be a slow erosion. But uh, as an investment, if I had to put a dollar and sock it away for the next uh, twenty years, would I rather buy an oil company or would rather buy uh, a company that's going to continue to innovate and has the potential to grow its opportunity set? Uh, The answer is the latter.
0: Within your context, again, both funds you manage to have prospectuses that classify their risk. So with the Canadian equity fund, it's listed as medium. The Canadian small cap fund is listed as medium to high. How does your risk rating affect the day-to-day operation of each fund? Does it affect your, your trading strategy? And does it limit any of the industries you can invest in?
1: I think the risk rating has to do with the type of investments. Smaller companies are going to have higher risk by nature just because of uh, the concentration of their client base and uh, the volatility inherent in smaller companies. That being said, my goal is still fundamentally the same for both funds. It's to invest in high quality companies with strong competitive advantages, prudent balance sheets, management teams with a proven track record of creating shareholder value. It's easier to do that in larger companies. However, the growth potential and the potential for being right in smaller companies is greater. So I would say it's greater risk, greater reward in small caps, and it's more lower risk for the large cap side.
0: Craig, if you could describe the ideal investor for a country-focused mutual fund, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but I think it's really good just to call them right now.
1: Someone who isn't going to take the time to understand the my investment process or isn't aware of the perils of concentration risk, ETFs are probably better for them. Um, Someone who wants an active approach, who wants a manager, who's going to be seeking out companies of of a quality nature, Um, I think that makes sense for an investor in my portfolios. Again, I think that uh, the ideal investor for a country-focused mutual fund like mine does have advice coming from someone from a holistic point of view, understands their needs, understands their uh, risk and Risk tolerance, for example, and uh, the need for access to capital. Um, I believe that my strategy works over the long term. There's going to be periods of underperformance and periods of outperformance. So I would say the ideal investor has the time frame to allow the strategy to work to their advantage.
0: Would it be fair to say that when looking at an ETF versus a mutual fund, really what you're paying for in the fees you're paying for, The ability to react, and and you're paying for the more intimate knowledge that the portfolio manager has of the companies that they're investing in. You said touched on earlier, you're able to 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 meet and talk to the people in the business and actually get a a bit more of a higher touch understanding of the investments that you're making. Is that a fair statement?
1: I think you hit it on the head. Um, As active managers, I do have access to speak to the management teams. I do have uh, the. A research team behind me is doing their own and our own fundamental research in uh, long-term themes and trends and uh, that's where we can differentiate ourselves from the benchmark if a portfolio manager is hugging the benchmark with only minor deviations they're never going to recoup the fees that active managers charge in that case ETFs are the way to go but uh, for someone who doesn't have the time to look at individual companies themselves and believes in a specific philosophy that a portfolio manager is adopting, then it makes sense for them to to go the active route. I would add one other theme that I've been thinking about uh, of that argument of active versus passive. I really think about it as a giant pendulum where throughout the 90s and 2000s, Active management just became so prevalent that it almost became impossible for the average portfolio manager to beat their benchmark, and that's why ETFs took off in the way they they did. It guarantees you to earn benchmark-like returns without paying high fees. However, as ETFs have begun to explode in popularity and are gathering so many EUM, such a big proportion of uh, the investing universe, I think that pendulum is beginning to shift the other way where it becomes easier and easier for active managers to beat that benchmark. One example would be when a company, let's pick Shopify. I think it's a great example. When Shopify was announced that it was going into the index, it shot up over the run-up period into that inclusion close to 20%. Only active managers benefited from that. It went in the index and then it gave back about 10%. So the, the, the ETF investor actually only got hurt uh, on the way down. Since then, it has recovered. So equal opportunity for active and passive managers to benefit from it. But I think that uh, uh, specifically with quant funds and uh, and hedge funds uh, trying to eat the lunch of that uh ETF inclusion and exclusion, uh, I think that it's going to become easier and easier for active managers to outperform uh, ETFs. But it's a a slow moving pendulum and uh, it takes time. And I still think you have to focus on uh, investing in the right philosophy and uh, having the right research network around you.
0: Greg, one of the things we try to do in the frontier is to educate our listeners about investing and uh specifically in investing on their own so i think it would be great now to talk a bit more about your personal experience investing so did you manage money through the financial crisis and and what are some of the lessons you learned going through that
1: i did manage money through the financial crisis and the lessons learned uh were painful but uh but uh, well worth it. Um, The two big ones I would say are the importance of preservation of capital. So that's what defined my philosophy on investing in quality companies. If a company is over-levered, that's what causes a lot of the problems when a company stumbles. Good companies, bad companies are going to stumble, but if they have the balance sheet support where they're not going to be forced into bankruptcy, that's when the more prudently levered companies have time to work out their problems. If you think of a a company like uh, DH... They ran into some short-term problems, but because their leverage was so high, it essentially forced them to sell their company, even though there was long-term value in some of the fintech investments that they were making. Other companies, like um, more recently, uh, Magna has been accused of uh, potentially being on the wrong end of some of the electric vehicle trends. However, they've got such an underlevered balance sheet, uh, they're earning such high amounts of excess free cash, they're able to reinvest that uh, money into their business. They could go out and make strategic acquisitions. They could tilt their business to be more electric vehicle focused, and uh, it gives them that leeway and flexibility. So uh, uh, preservation of capital and a focus on quality, meaning strong balance sheets and uh, prudent management teams, was lesson number one. Lesson number two, I would have to say, is uh, the perils of the herd mentality, um, it's funny that uh, when oil was at $150, those was the same analysts that were calling for $200 oil that were the ones calling for $10 oil when oil was at $30. The investor psychology and uh, the herd mentality and, and being able to rationally step back and think about uh, companies as businesses and goal and concerns is uh, probably lesson number two that I took away from managing managing money through that uh, crisis period.
0: 2008 and the crisis was a little while ago at this and especially from an equity markets perspective, I think it's safe to say they're, they're in a different position today. What do you think some of the challenges are that are facing retail equity investors today?
1: Connecting this answer with my last answer on herd mentality, I think some of those big focus uh, US style stocks, uh, specifically the fangs, uh, the Facebooks, the Apples, uh, Netflix, Amazon, that, uh, that make up such a large part of the index and an even greater portion of the outperformance of a lot of those indexes. I think that uh, there's the risk that as soon as those companies stumble... Uh, people aren't going to know what to do. It's going to be a race for the exit. And, uh, and those are very liquid stocks that a lot of people own in large proportions. And uh, I think there's, going to, there's the potential for that race to the exit. If you have a diversified portfolio, it's less of a risk. But if you have a very concentrated portfolio in those specific names, then uh, there's that risk of, uh, of the, the big step down. As an active portfolio manager, I have to decide you know, when when it makes sense to step in, when that overreaction is overdone and uh, the fundamentals kick in. But one of the risks today is that valuations have been expanding and, uh, and companies are not cheap. Now, I'm okay paying up for the right company uh, if that growth is going to be maintained. But uh, when multiples are high and growth stumbles, that's when uh, the big re-ratings occur.
0: I think we've talked about this a lot in, that, in the podcast, which is, which is great, and especially talking to somebody in active management, the, the ETFs, the explosion of popularity of them has been undeniable. And I think we talked about the pendulum swinging back and forth. On that note, there's a lot of talk these days about people trying to match the market or to beat it. Is that a realistic expectation for an average risk or a medium risk investor?
1: To do it yourself, it's very difficult because unless you have millions of dollars to do it and you have the time and uh, the knowledge base, it's it's almost impossible to compete with uh, an institutional firm like ourselves that has uh, eight senior analysts and uh, another seven or eight junior analysts and portfolio management team and $30 billion of Canadian equities that we invest, which means we have access to... The best tools, the best research directly to uh, the management teams, IR teams, uh, CEOs, CFOs uh, that the average investor just doesn't have. Plus, um, if you have a couple thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand dollars even to invest, you you can't buy in size the same way an institution can. Uh, When uh, a company issues equity, they don't often issue it. To retail investors to take advantage of uh, that dip in price, it often gets uh, soaked up by by institutions. So we just have so many advantages over a typical retail investor.
0: Can you give our listeners one piece of advice about investing in equities?
1: Probably the best piece of advice would be to not look at your portfolio on a daily basis. Look at your portfolio once a month, even once a quarter. Make sure that any mutual funds that you have that the manager is sticking with their philosophy and what they say they're going to be doing and why. And uh, asking questions like, why are you underperforming? Or are you outperforming for the right reasons? But good companies don't fall in and out of favor. If you invest in good businesses, good companies, management teams create value over time. So A CN Rail, for example, uh, yeah, it's expensive, but it's expensive for good reason. It's investing in technology, it's investing in customer service and uh, reducing their costs on an ongoing basis. So it's that time value of money that's going to work for you on a compounding effect and also giving good companies the ability to create value on your behalf. So I would say don't focus on the day-to-day iterations, more focus on the longer-term fundamentals.
0: Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about the CIBC Canadian Equities Fund or the CIBC Canadian Small Cap Fund, please visit CIBC's website, where you can find information on these funds in the growth section under mutual funds. This episode is brought to you by Capintel, a fund analytics company helping investment professionals select the top performing funds for their clients. Industry experts nationwide trust Capintel to make better decisions faster. Find out why at capintel.ca.